Yo, 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 what's going on? Welcome back to the Been There, Done That podcast, episode number seven. We are officially a week and a half removed from the Super Bowl, so things are starting to settle down, but I gotta say, I'm still enjoying it. I am just soaking it all in, because who knows when the the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl again. Oh yeah, I do, next year. Anyway, we have plenty of time to talk about that. Uh, but like I said, football season is over, and yeah, I'm not really paying much attention to the XFL. It just doesn't do it for me. It's not fun. It's, you know, it is what it is. But real football, that season's done, which is it's kind of a bummer. I know we all love football season, but with that, there, there are some fun things that, that come up here pretty soon, as we know. March Madness coming up soon, so we're actually, in this episode, we're going to jump in and, and talk about some college basketball. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk, we'll talk a little bit of Chiefs, um, just kind of recapping a few more things and just a few things from the Super Bowl, just kind of putting a bow on it. A few things I forgot to mention last week as I was so caught up and, and riding high in the emotion of, of winning the game as I've kind of come back down to earth a little bit, so to speak. And so that's, uh, those are a few of the things we're going to talk about here today. And so let's go ahead and jump on in. First thing I want to start with, it actually has nothing to do with sports. It's just kind of a, a funny, personal, embarrassing story that happened to me uh, about a week ago, actually. And it's a Zoom story, which we're, we're, in, a, we're in a point in our, our society where everyone seems to have a, some type of Zoom story these days. And I had a good one last week on Wednesday. So I was on a, a Zoom call with... The, the Canna directors do a, a Bible study every Wednesday morning at 8.30. And I was on the call, and keep in mind, this is, you know, two, three days after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. So I'm still, you know, I'm finding any content I can on the internet. I'm just enjoying it, living it up. Uh, but, but I'm on the Zoom call where the, the directors are there in, the, in Branson on a, on a call. or in, they're, in, they're in person. I'm on the Zoom call. So a lot of the a lot of the directors were there in person, and they were doing a Bible study, and you know I do my normal thing I get get the get the zoom up and I mute it and I'm not on the screen just early in the morning it is what it is this is a Bible study I'm just paying attention to it for some of it and then at at one point I you know I'm like I'm gonna take a minute look at my phone listen listen to this clip because I'm I'm curious about it I'm interested in it because again I'm still locked in on the Chiefs to be totally honest with you confession moment here i was not the most attentive to that bible study as i normally am in a bible study you know i am i am not too what's the word i'm looking for i'm not i'm humble enough to admit i was not as locked in as i would like to have been you know but it is what it is and so with that i i had this video going up on my phone i was listening to a few interviews and it was probably about a minute long and i probably 40, 35, 40 seconds in the video, I, I hear something, it almost like people yelling on the computer screen. I'm like, what are, what are they yelling about? And I, and I look up and I realize like they're yelling my name. And lo and behold, as you probably guessed by now, I was not muted. And so here I am playing post-game interview press conferences uh, just out loud on the speaker for all the Cook directors in, in the, the conference room to hear and I could have sworn when I started the Zoom call, I had muted it. 
but I didn't. And so here we were going over the book of 2 Timothy, preparing for the summer, trying to get our minds and our hearts in a good spot to prepare to, to be able to lead Bible studies here in the next couple of months. And here I am just listening to post-game interviews from this football game. And so, yeah, it was embarrassing, but it was it was funny. And I just, I had to share that. Um, just so if you, you know, if you have any issues on zoom, if you've, if you've had one of those moments, just know you're not alone. Um, because I made sure everyone knew that I was not paying attention to the Bible study. And so, yeah, so I had to start with that. It was a fun little story and, uh, had another, another call this morning and I made extra sure I, ch- I double checked every five minutes or so to be sure that I was muted. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't looking at my phone. I was locked in on the Bible study, but man, that was funny. Kind of embarrassing, but also, you know, life goes on. It is what it is. So, yeah, I just want to start with that. And, you know, speaking of things that I, I didn't, you know, that that's one of the things I didn't get right. However, there were things that I did get right. One big thing, actually, about a year ago that I did get right that I, I would like to share with with you, with the listener right now. And this is this is kind of a, a a prediction I had. It really right after the Super Bowl ended, right after you know the Bengals had that that crazy good run and they made it to the Super Bowl and they were a possession away from winning, and then a month later Tyree Kill gets traded, and it and from you know a lot of people on the outside looking in kind of had this idea that the Chiefs were no longer a real threat because they lost Tyree Kill. And the Bengals were the new up-and-coming team, you know, and it was also coming up the, off the heels of the 13-second the game where the Bills were that close to winning. And so the the new, you know, I had a feeling going into the season, the new fun, you know, the new hot pick was going to be most likely the Bills or the Bengals. And as we, the Bills ended up, especially when they signed Von Miller, became the overwhelming favorite to win the Super Bowl. But I was saying... You know, one thing I started saying back last February, about a year ago and into March, was something I was saying was that, you know, now that Tyreek Hill's gone and, and the, the Bengals went on this run and they went and, and beat the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game on their home field, I think these the national quote-unquote experts, the analysts, are going to start picking against the Chiefs. And I think that's great news for the Chiefs. You know why? Because what's going to happen now is the Chiefs are going to somehow fly under the radar. Like, they're going to have a really good regular season like they always do. They're going to lose a game they probably shouldn't early on. What happened? They lost to the Colts. They shouldn't have lost that game, and they did. And at that point on, everyone basically wrote them off as, oh, we were right. They, they can't win without Tyreek Hill, yada, yada, yada. And I think they pretty much flew under the radar as much as you can for being having Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and being as good as they were. They, they flew under the radar, and all year long, the majority of national media overlooked them and, and picked all the other teams. And I, and I said, like, like I said, back in February – that I felt the Bengals were going to be the new hot commodity, the, the new team that everyone's going to be picking. Everyone is, is going to be all aboard the Burrow train, you know. And the Chiefs were just under the radar, very low-key, going to still play well enough and get the one seed and make their way back to the Super Bowl. And I don't know if you've been keeping up. I don't know if you paid attention this season. But what happened was this. The Bengals became uh, one of the favorites. Joe Burrow, people people were on the Joe Burrow train. Some people were trying to say he was better than Patrick Mahomes. Um, all the while, the Chiefs continued to just win games and took the number one seed. And they, they got the one seed, and they made it to the Super Bowl. So all that to tell you, 
I called it. I was right. I was very much right from a year ago. I said the Chiefs, you know, they were going to fly under the radar and get back to the Super Bowl as the one seed. And that is exactly what happened. You know, I'm not a prophet. I'm not, you know, I don't, I can't see in the future, but I, I feel pretty confident I can, you know, based on the history we have, what we know about Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, the, the Chiefs just organization, you know, I felt pretty confident in that prediction. And I told, I don't know how many people I told, I told a good amount of people that throughout the summer, you know, when I was working at camp or talking to students and they thought I was crazy. And I said, all right, let's wait and see. And so it's fun to sit here a year later and just, just being able to gloat in it and being like, man, isn't it crazy how right I was? So it's a lot of fun. We really enjoy that. It's a good time. And so that being said, I may, I may as well just go ahead and make my pick for next year. I don't see any reason the chiefs are going to slow down next year. I mean, the, the reality is this this team, Chiefs team that just won very well could be the worst Chiefs team that we see until Travis Kelsey retires. You know, maybe that's in the next four or five years. He's got, I'd say he's got, a, you know, one, two, maybe three more years as being the best tight end in the league. Maybe he goes longer than that. I don't know. But just being 34 years old and, finally, you know, starting to get a little bit older, or maybe he's 32, I don't know. Something along those lines. He's in his mid, early to mid-30s, and so he's getting older. And I think as long as he's there and in his and in his prime, you know, as with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, Chiefs are going to be the team to beat in the NFL. And and we've talked about this a little bit last week. The Chiefs are in a great spot in terms of draft picks. They've got eleven or twelve coming up in the draft, and they have they're like they're in the top half of the league in available cap space because of all the rookies they have on the team. And so the Chiefs are in an excellent spot moving forward. And I think it's a it's very much on the table that they just had their worst team. You know, that team that just won the Super Bowl may be just the worst in terms of overall talent that they have for the next couple of years, which just has to be so scary for the rest of the league. But yeah, so I just had to share that. You know, I started the show out with a with a slice of humble pie, and and so I had to take a few more slices of, of the other pie. I don't know what you call that, the proud pie, the humble brag kind of pie. I had to take a couple slices of that just to even things out. And remind everyone that I was right from a year ago. So shooting a score, you know. Now, one other thing I do want to mention from the Super Bowl that I've been thinking about this past week. And I was also going to mention last week, but it kind of ran short on time. And I I think I I came up with a pretty good comparison on what the, the this controversial holding call, you know, that's got dominated the media. That man, the Chiefs got handed their second Super Bowl, Mahomes' second Super Bowl, handed over, the refs decided the game, you know, all this nonsense that, that's been going there on the media the past week and a half, and I think I came up with a pretty good comp, pretty good comparison as to what's going on, okay, so some of you are probably familiar with, you know, if you're a, a longtime sports fan, you've, you're probably familiar with the Steve Bartman story, which is... If you're not, I'll, I'll lay it out for you really quickly. Okay, 2003, the National League Championship Series. Okay, it's the Chicago Cubs versus the Florida Marlins. And at this point in time, the, the Cubs are up 3-2 to two in the series. And keep in mind, the Cubs, it had been over 100 years since they had won the World Series. Uh, even, I may have even been to the World Series. I'm not, I'd have to double check that. But it had been like a century plus since they had won the world series so people are very much bought in and like there's a curse the cubs just there's no way they can make it back and here the cubs are in the national league 
championship series. They're four outs away, okay? They are up three to nothing in the in the eighth inning in the National League Championship, game six. Okay, all they have to do is get four more outs and they move on, okay? And there's a, f- a foul ball that, that's, you know, it goes down the left field line. It's right on the edge of where the seats start and the field begins. And Moises Alou, the left fielder, goes over and tries to make a catch, but he's not able to because a fan kind of gets in the way and tries to catch the ball. And so the, the ball drops foul and they don't get the out. And if you'll remember, if you could you could look this up on YouTube or wherever you want to look it up, Moises Alou just freaks out. He looks up and he starts screaming at him and he throws his glove on the ground and he just has a fit. And because of that, the I think... I think it's because of that, because of Moises Alou reaction, that what we now know, or we later found out his name was Steve Bartman, was the guy who, who was standing there and really was in the middle of it and tried to make the catch. And he became really the scapegoat for what came for what followed, which was that the the Cubs ended up giving up nine runs in the next two innings. <laughs> okay, it's it's not like it's not like it was just one swing of the bat to give them they absolutely melted down in the next inning and a half. Or however long it was, you know, because it was in the eighth inning, and so the the Cubs, like I said, they ended up losing that game, and then went to Game Seven, and the Marlins won that game as well. And so, in the city of Chicago, Steve Bartman was the most hated person, and you know, received death threats, and people were trying to find him. And th- I mean, this guy had to go into hiding, and essentially, he didn't even ha- he wasn't able to like show his face, and didn't even ever return and make a public appearance anywhere until. Like 2020, I think was the last time, <laughs> uh, or the first time he was able to even make a public appearance because he he all the death threats and the obnoxious things that people said. Um, so I tell you that story uh, because I think this is a very good comparison in what happened with this uh, quote unquote controversial holding call that happened in the Super Bowl a week and a half ago. And so what I mean for, for you know you're you're watching the game and and you see this this flag gets thrown and we, we watch the replay and Greg Olson, the color commentator for Fox just really just starts ripping the officials and, you know, gets super like, I don't want to say upset, but relatively speaking for, for someone who's live on the air gets pretty upset about how bad of a call it was and how the refs missed it. Even though the reality is that on TV, they didn't show where the hold actually happened. They, they showed after the hold. And so I think, what's going on here is is people are because of the way greg olson reacted when he was in the booth and when he first saw the the play happen or saw the replay of it even though it wasn't really the actual replay you know greg olson made a big deal about how bad of a call it was and i think everyone who wasn't a chiefs fan or everyone who didn't actually get a chance to see the replay decided you know what i'm gonna agree with him he, he made a big deal about it so i can too and i you know we got to make the officials the scapegoat we got to make sure that it's not the Chiefs that won, it's the officials that gave it to them. And I think this is such a good comparison because when you look back at the Cubs game with, with Steve Bartman, the reality is the Cubs were still only four outs away. You know, they, like they have a three a three run lead in the eighth inning, and they're they're four outs away from from winning the game and going to the World Series. But the, the team itself just melted down. It was followed up by by like two or three more errors, and like I said nine more runs or eight eight more runs in the next two innings okay that those eight runs had nothing to do with steve bartman you know like it had nothing to do with him and if the team would have just chilled out 
and played baseball and quit worried about looking for someone to blame, they probably would have won, you know? And, and I think there's an element here. It, it's not a perfect comparison because the, at the end of the day, the Eagles had, have been really good sports about it. You know, they, they not not a single Eagles player has said anything about the refs. They, I mean, they've, they all like have pretty openly acknowledged that it's it was the right call, <laughs> you know? And they're... There are pictures out there. There's there's slow mo replays out there of Juju clearly his jersey's clearly getting tugged, and it's absolutely clearly the right call. And the Chiefs agree with it. The Eagles agree with it. And the only people that don't seem to agree with it are people that you know weren't there, people that listened to what Greg Olson said and they made sure they believed that to be 100% fact. And so I I think that's kind of what's going on here is people allowed the the knee-jerk reaction of Greg Olson to dictate how they felt about it. And and so with that, there's no really there's no credit being given where it's really due, which is to the fact that the Chiefs were the better team. And the Chiefs outplayed and outcoached the Eagles pretty handedly in this in the second half of that game. And you know the reality is that maybe maybe the Chiefs do get a field goal there and or and maybe the Eagles do get a chance. But at the end of the day the Chiefs had all the momentum. You know, they had even just gotten a few stops previously, and the Eagles really, their style of offense is not all that well suited to, to run a two-minute offense. Like, they're, at the, essentially what I'm getting at is all the, at that point, all the, the cards were stacked against the Eagles. And so, I, I, you know, all the signs were pointing the Chiefs were going to win the game anyway. And so, it's unfortunate, once again, that, you know, people are going to continue to look back at this this call and and blame that on being the reason that the Chiefs won. As as we know, anyone, you know, any logical football fan knows it was a hold. It was the right call. You can't hold him. The guy who held him, who got called for it, said he held him, you know. And so, again, I don't want to spend too much more time on this, but I, I just wanted to share that, that comparison with you of, like, that's kind of what it made me think of, of, like, I think if Greg Olson wouldn't have had that reaction in the booth where – where he made it seem like it was the end of the world and that's you know and that the refs didn't hand it away if if Greg Olson hadn't reacted that way I'm not sure there would be that big of a controversy a controversy and I, and I think to go along with that Chris Collinsworth had a, an interesting tweet too was it, it was a, a quoted tweet of the of a picture like a really good shot of Bradbury just tugging on the jersey and like you you clearly you can see he's pulling the jersey and so Collinsworth tweeted and quoted it and said, this is the, the view that we got from inside the stadium. And so we were confused when we left and realized there was a controversy about it. You know, and so people that were inside the stadium, you know, they showed this. That's the replay they saw inside the stadium. And so everyone in there, Eagles fans included, no, people, you know, they knew it was the right call. <laughs> they, like they, they all saw it. But the reality is Fox, you know, dropped the ball a little bit and didn't show the, the correct replay and showed the wrong, you know, where the whole where they thought the hold happened, even though that's not where it happened. Um, and so I think that's very interesting and just something to keep in mind of like, we, we, we've made this huge narrative about how the chiefs have been handed a super bowl when the reality is they won. And if anything, you know, I thought the refs did a really good job for the most part. Like they were, they weren't great, but they were not, they weren't great both ways. And, but if anything, there were a few more calls that helped the Eagles out in that game and kept it closer than it probably should have been. But again, that, at the end of the day, the Chiefs won the game, and the Chiefs got to have a parade, and the Chiefs ha now have three Super Bowl trophies. And the cool thing is that the Chiefs now, I believe I heard the stat, there's only, I want to say there's only six 
five or six NFL franchises now who have more Super Bowls than the Chiefs, right? The Patriots, the Steelers, the 49ers, the Cowboys, the Giants, and hmm, forgetting the last one. The Packers, that's what it is. I believe those are the only six teams. All right, there's a handful of teams that do have three in their history. Um, but at the end of the day, the Chiefs, there's only six teams. The Chiefs are very quickly moving their way into, you know, in there with the historic franchises of the NFL in terms of most championships won. And so I got to think the Chiefs are going to be climbing up that list even more in the near future, which is super exciting. So that's all I'll say about the, the holding call today. Who knows what type of new information I'll uncover and, and go over next week. But I'll put a pin in that there for now, okay? And I'm actually going to move into some college basketball, okay? And where I want to start here, I, I kind of want to do I want to do a college basketball conference ranking. All right, so I'm going to go through the major power conferences in college basketball right now and let you know where I think they rank. Okay, and and I and I do this because this is actually a big, a big thing back in, in in high school and college. I would get in a lot of arguments about what the best college basketball conference was. And gosh, when this was around 2017, 2018, 2019, I was pretty I was constantly in these debates on who's the best conference, and I felt very strongly that it was the ACC, followed by. You know, sometimes it was the Big 12, sometimes it was the Big 10. Occasionally, the SEC crept its way in there. But at the end of the day, I th- just based on the ACC, based on how top-heavy it was, well, not even just being top-heavy. It was deep, obviously, but but the, the firepower at the top of, like, it could be there are three or four different teams that, you know, could be in the Final Four or have a realistic chance to win the, the championship every year, along with, you know, over half the conference making the tournament. Okay, and so... It's just a, it's a fun discussion for me, and I am going to share where I think the conference ranks right now. And before I do that, I'm going to share with you my criteria on what makes the conference, um, you know, what makes it better or worse, okay? The first one I look at is how many teams are currently projected to be in the tournament. And so for this, I look at the Bracketology page that's on ESPN. It's pretty simple, um, and they have it laid out, meaning as in, like they've got it laid out pretty simply, and simplistic for um, showing how many teams from each conference are currently projected to be in based on Joe Lenardi, who basically his full-time job is doing this. Like during the year, he, he put, he looks at the resumes of the teams and puts them, you know, kind of stacks them up against each other and, and has a projection on who's most likely to be in the tournament and what seed they're most likely to be. And this is a, a website I find myself on, you know, Almost daily. By the time March gets here, I'm almost, I'm looking at this thing almost every single day, and uh, it's very helpful and it gives a good feel for, like I said, how many teams are currently projected to be in the tournament from that conference. And then the next criteria I look at: how many teams are legitimate championship contenders? You know, right? Because you have any of the power conferences, you're going to have those teams that are to the nine, ten, you know, your eights, your twelve, like your eleven seed, whatever it might be. And we don't really look at those teams as legitimate title contenders um so th- they helps with the depth of the conference but it's not necessarily like the, the the top heavy the real firepower of the best teams in the conference whereas whereas you know this is the the biggest thing for me when the acc was at its peak a couple of years back where you had duke and carolina and um 
Louisville had a, a championship in their which they're now in the ACC, or you had uh, Virginia also had a championship in there, you know. And so any given year, there was a team in the ACC, at least one or two teams usually that you felt could win the championship. And so, you know, you, I look at that, how, the legitimate championship contenders. And then lastly, I look at how many teams are ranked, okay? And sometimes this can be, I don't know if I would call it a tiebreaker, but sometimes I think this helps when you're looking at the depth of the conference as well. Um, and so those are those are kind of the three big criteria I look at in terms of when you when you put those together, put them in the blender and 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 see what 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 you what you pour out is kind of how I come up with where they're at. So starting so I'm going to look at six conferences and I had some trouble deciding on, on who's going to be number 6, but I I am going to put the Big East there at number 6 just barely almost like a 5a and 5b really with with i'll say it just with the pac 12 okay so as of right now the the big east has five teams projected to be in and the pac 12 has three projected to be in but that's also including the the pac 12 also has a couple teams just barely outside the bubble like they they could very well play their way into the tournament okay so they're right there um but at the end of the day the pac 12 in terms of power five conferences of what, or, or what's traditionally known as Power Five conferences, is not very good. Okay, I'm looking at their their standings right now. They have two teams that are ranked now. Granted, the those teams are number four, number seven, in UCLA and Arizona. Okay, so two highly ranked teams, teams that are having really good years. Um, and I and I see UCLA definitely as a, a real title contender. And Arizona, I don't know how how legitimate their title chances are, but being a top ten team, you know, they're very much on the fringe of being a title contender. And so I look at that. You know, and, and compare that to the Big East, which I believe to be a little bit deeper, because they currently have, like I said, five teams that are projected to be in the tournament, and all five of those teams are ranked. Okay, and now, granted, only one of those teams is in the top ten, and they are tenth. So they have five teams between ten through twenty. So all that to say, the Big East is, you know, they're solid. They're pretty deep for a what's not necessarily always considered a, a power conference, but. I do find the, the I, I see the Big East as as pretty deep and a couple teams that I think could make some noise in the tournament. Although I don't see really anyone in this conference as legitimate title contenders, which is why I give the slight edge to the the Pac-12, um, just because again the Pac-12 I'm not sure they're they're quite as deep in terms of quality tournament teams, but they do have those two teams up there at the top that I think could potentially make a deeper run in the tournament, and so I give the slighter edge um, to the Pac-12 there, and so. With that being said, I'm going to have the Pac-12 at five, the Big East at six, okay? And then at four, we're going to have the ACC, right? The Atlantic Coast Conference. Well, and so this is one of those, this is kind of tough for me to admit. I guess you could say I swallowed my pride a little bit. Now, granted, a few years have gone by, but the ACC is not what it was now that Roy Williams is not at Carolina and, and Coach K is no longer at Duke. Those are two teams that are, you know, Duke is, they're in the tournament field, but they're not, you know, they're not the same Duke that we are used to. And Carolina is, it, same same thing. Carolina is, is on the, the bubble, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. They are just kind of hanging on by a thread, right? They're first four out. As I look, I just saw it and found it. They are currently in the first four teams out. So, you know, a couple good wins and they could, seal their spot and it probably helps that their name is Carolina but at the end of the day they are Duke and Carolina are not 
the Duke and Carolina that we've you know grown accustomed to over the years. And without those two, that is very tough for the ACC and and hurts them a lot. And so at this point, there there's one I see legitimate title contender in the ACC, and that's Virginia. And not that I love, not that they're super flashy or fun or anything, but they they've done it with this coach in the past, and they're they're ranked number six right now. And so they're a really good team, and they do have legitimate, you know, a, a real chance to be a Final Four team. Um, but I, they're the, really, really the only team in the ACC that I see with that potential. Okay, and so that being said, with the ACC currently having um, also five teams in the in the tournament field and a couple more on the bubble, I've got the ACC sitting there at number four. Okay, now number three. We have the Big Ten. So, Big Ten. This is a. Uh, this one's interesting. This is a. Um, I've heard this. I heard a lot of people over the years talk about how the Big Ten is the most underrated, and at the end of the day, that like, the Big Ten always is towards the top, and most teams getting into the tournament. And I think that's fair. You know, the the Big Ten. They're they do. It, it's true. The Big Ten has. They're usually really deep. Okay, it's a lot of. It's a very good defensive league. You're not. It's not a whole lot of the flash, as much you know, the fun flash, flashy, fancy, the three Fs, if you will. You're not going to find that as much in the big in the Big Ten. But right now, the Big Ten leads the the NCAA in in teams projected to get in. Now, granted, they have more teams in the conference than most. There's 14 teams in the Big Ten, and nine of them are projected to be in, which is around 65%. Someone help me out. Let me pull my calculator up. Nine divided by 14, 64%, right? So, I mean, that's a good percentage, right? And they're, they are projected to have 60, 64% of the teams make the tournament right now. Again, that all, like most of them, that includes a few bubble teams. So it could make or miss a few there. But with the Big Ten, I'm looking at the standings right now. Purdue, uh, they are the one legitimate title contender in the Big Ten. They've been in and out of the number one ranking throughout the, the year they've had a couple losses recently that's pulled them down to five but uh with Zach Eady their big man uh regardless of who they play they have a chance to win based on on that guy and I mean the seven footer just creates huge mismatch issues for whoever they play and so as long as he stays healthy and stays out of foul trouble I think Purdue really they could make a, a, a really deep run and they're going to be a tough out in the tournament and and beyond that now they you look at the rest of the teams that are ranked you got Northwestern and Indiana who are 21 and 17 respectively. And so again, I'm not sure I look at either one of those teams as, like I said, legitimate title contenders, but they are ranked and having very good seasons. And then after that, you have a bunch of, you know, middle of the pack teams that are, that are solid um, teams that are not going to win the tournament for sure. They're not, not really final four caliber teams, but teams that are solid and um, will make the tournament and, you never when you know that's that's the goal that's goal number one make the tournament and, and see what happens and so big 10 sits here at number three because of its depth just um having so many teams be able to make it at this point it's more of a quantity over quality thing and i see one legitimate title contender in this conference followed by several you know solid tournament teams who maybe win a game and and call it call it a season call it a nice season okay so Big Ten number three, number two, we've got the SEC. It just means more, right? This is uh, SEC. I think is really the the one when you look at all the conferences over the years that has been underrated the most. 
in terms of man people look at like oh that's it's a football conference it's it's this it's that whatever um that's just it is you're right it's a football conference but it's it's gotten better basketball year by year and you know so right now looking at the standings there are currently three there are only three teams ranked in the sec um one of them is being number two alabama the other uh, 11 Tennessee but then there's a couple other teams that are really right there on the fringe of being ranked and so again kind of similar to the the Big Ten is in a couple teams ranked and then a handful of middle of the pack teams including my Missouri Tigers um, who are they've been right on the edge of being ranked all year that they get there and they get very close to being in the rankings and then they lose a game or two and so they're just not quite there but as as it sits right now the SEC has eight teams currently in the tournament um, according to Joe Lenardi, and same thing, SEC has um, 14 teams, which, again, it's a little less than 60% of the teams that are in, and again, like all of them, that includes a couple that are on the bubble, could go this way, that way, um, but the thing about the SEC, I've been watching all year, so I might be a little biased, but there's just a, there's something about the SEC that, you know, there are some outstanding athletes um, and some some very good and underrated teams, and I, I, in terms of title contenders, absolutely Alabama is looking like one of the best teams in the country this year. They've just recently lost their first game in conference, like last week, and then Tennessee they've been reeling a little bit recently, but I, I think a big part of that is teams beating up on each other in conference. They've lost to some good teams, and Tennessee has um, Vescovy. They've got these guys. They've got a handful of guys on the team that are experienced and they've they've played in handful of they've you know a good amount of tournament games in the past so they've got experience and i don't know i i, I they're right on the border of me considering them you know a a, a a real legitimate title contender and i think if they have a strong finish to the regular season and into the sec tournament i think they can jump back into that category for me but the SEC, it's pretty similar to the Big Ten, just in terms of you got a couple teams there at the top, like one real contender, um, another team that that could be in, you know, kind of in the fringe there on that discussion, and then, and then a bunch of teams that are, you know, middle of the pack. They're going to be what seven, eight, nine, ten seeds that are solid teams, could win a game, um, but not likely to make it too far in the tournament, unless of course Missouri, you know, if they get Isaiah Mosley back and. And they just go on a, a heater. They've had a few runs this season where they, it doesn't matter who they play, they just they can't miss a shot. And you know, if they go on one of those runs, you know, who knows? Maybe they they surprise some teams, make it make it a, a sweet sixteen, maybe even a lead eight run, right? I don't see that as very likely because they get out rebounded every single game they play. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping I get to see Missouri go back on a run here, because. Um, uh, it's fun. Missouri basketball, it's fun when they're good. So, yeah, that is the SEC. They are sitting at two right now. I think there are some teams that are a bit underrated, and I expect them to make some noise come March. And last but not least, certainly not least, is the Big 12. And this one is probably the most tough for me to admit because all those years where I was arguing, Utah was blue in the face about how the ACC was the best conference. I was also arguing that the Big 12 was overrated. And and I still believe to to this day that I was right in all those years. Back when I was arguing that that was the, that was the case. Um however that is no longer the case. All right, the Big 12 has now separated itself uh 
as the best conference, and, and here's why. Number one, there's 10 teams in the Big 12. Eight of them are currently projected to be in the tournament. Okay, you got 80% of the teams that are projected to be in uh, with one on the uh, closely out on the bubble, so even potentially nine. All right, you've got, what is it, six teams that are ranked. 60% of the, the conference are ranked teams, and three of them being in the top 10. And then you look at legitimate title contenders. I think, again, you look at those those three teams, KU, Texas, and Baylor are all legitimate title contenders. And so so here's what my issue was with the Big 12 for the longest time. Okay, so at, starting in 2005, you know, after that, like beginning with that season all the way up until 2018, that, that 13, 14 year stretch where KU, you know, they, they're making new shirts every year. They were winning the Big 12 title every single year and, and printing off these shirts of Big 12, 12 in a row, 13 in a row, 14 in a row. And, and KU had a couple Final Four appearances in there and a championship in there. But they were the only team from the Big 12 that even made the Final Four in, the, in that 14-year stretch. And so for me, I'm thinking, okay, what I see here is one team winning the conference every year, one team, only one team making the Final Four, you know, once every four or five years. And outside of that, the Big 12 has kind of a history of losing first-round games. That includes Missouri, my favorite team, when they were in the Big 12, the game to Norfolk State, which I'm still not over that game, by the way. Um, over 10 years ago, I'm still grieving. Um but the reality is the Big 12 has a pretty long and consistent history of having teams lose early in, in the tournament as a two seed, as a three seed, as a five seed, you know, like whatever it may be. Uh, Big 12 had a long history of that, and I was pretty confident in the, in the belief that the Big 12 was overrated. Like There was talk of the teams that were beating up on each other, but they just actually weren't as good as we thought. And, and I... You know, so how, how can my, my thought was, how can KU win it every single year? If you put them into the big the Big East or if you put them in the ACC or even the SEC, even the Pac-12, you put them into any of those conferences during that stretch, they're not going to win 14 conference titles in a row. There's just no way, you know. And so for me, I'm thinking, how can how can the Big 12 be the best conference if it's one team carrying the load? Like it just it didn't make any sense. OK, now. That was that stretch of 13, 14 years where I felt pretty strongly about that. And then 2019, Texas Tech with Jarrett Culver and company made it to the national championship game. And they lost a, a great game to, I believe it was Villanova that year. And they kind of inserted themselves. like, And that was the first time a Big 12 team, actually I take that back, OU, I think it was in 2018, made the Final Four potentially. I had to double check that. Something in there, I think after like 13 years or something, the streak was ended, but OU got just demolished in the final four, or maybe it was in 20, maybe it was in that year. But regardless, Texas Tech made it, had a really good team, and and almost won the championship. That went to overtime, okay. And then the following year was the COVID year, so the tournament got canceled. And then the year after that, Baylor won the national championship, and the year after that, KU won the national championship. All right, so really three years in a row, the the Big Twelve has had a different team represented in the championship every year, and you know. So you've got you've got the depth, you've got 80% of the teams in the tournament, you've got 60% of the teams ranked, and you've got different teams every year that are winning or competing for a national championship. And, you know, you, you just can't look too much past that, you know. I, I, I think, honestly, I think Bill Self is probably the best coach in college basketball right now. And it, I hate saying that, believe me, as a Mizzou fan. We, across all of sports, I'm going to pause here for a second, go on a little tangent. Across all of sports, 
whether it's the NFL, you know, whether it's the Broncos or the Raiders or the Patriots or the Bills, whoever. Um, in baseball, the Royals don't really have a rival. I mean, I guess you could say the Cardinals, just cross-state rivalry, whatever it is. Across all the sports, all the teams that I root for, KU is far and away the one I hate the most. I just, something about growing up, watching the Missouri versus Kansas, you know, twice a year in basketball, the football games, like, I was at the 2007 football game. That was the best game I've ever been to. It was at Arrowhead. It was unreal. The Todd Reesing grass in the helmet picture, legendary, is iconic. Okay, and then the the games where, some of those basketball games, like in 2012, that were just all-time games, and I just grew up with this hatred of Kansas, and so I've got this deep-rooted hatred of Kansas in my heart, but as you know, I strive to bring you just objective analysis here in this podcast, and so I got to tell you, I do believe Bill Self is the best coach in basketball, and I, and personally, as a basketball fan, you know, taking out the, the team name and the fans, you know, just watching KU, I love watching them play basketball, just the way they play. They play hard, and they, they play fast, and they're, they're athletic, and they shoot well, and they play great D. They rebound what They take care of the ball. All these different things that I just, it, as a basketball fan, just a, ba- a basketball purist, I, I enjoy watching them. And, of course, it's it's annoying being as, as a Mizzou fan, seeing them just, they're always good. They're always, it feels like a real title contender. And I will always root for them to lose in the tournament. That's just, I, it's what I'm going to do. You know, there's no way around it. But the reality is they're, you know, they're kind of the class of, especially with Duke and Carolina, not as much in the picture and Kentucky kind of doing, having some, their own issues of like KU is now kind of the premier program in college basketball right now. And so uh, all that being said, between KU, Texas and Baylor, I think those are all teams that are really, that have a real final four potential. I, I see K-State, I don't know if I, you know. They had a good run earlier. They, they've wavered a little bit last couple of weeks, but they again they they could get another hot streak and and make some noise in the tournament as well. But at the end of the day, yeah, the 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 Big Twelve is the best basketball conference, and it pains me to say it's not all that close. It's not particularly close at this point in time. Um, now that that's you know all that being said, it it could you know that that's one of the that's the point where you get to the tournament and you, and you feel pretty confident that that a conference is, is best and then we may show up in in sweet 16 and there's only two big 12 teams left you know and that's just i think that's the beauty of college basketball is um the teams you you know for sure like i i know in my heart i know for a fact this team is is that good uh this conference is great surely they're gonna have a bunch of teams move on and you feel confident and then saint peter shows up and makes it to the elite eight you know as we saw last year and so I think college basketball is just so hard to predict um, and, and March Madness, and it is a, such a fun time. And so I'm looking, we're only a couple weeks away, which is exciting. I'm pumped for that. And we'll we'll have some fun with March Madness as that time gets here as well. Uh, but for now, I wanted to leave you with my conference rankings and just give you, again, just another example of, of the things I tell you on this on this podcast are just objective. I, I don't, I'm not biased. I don't play favorites. I call it like I see it. And so that's, that's, that's where we're at. So, uh, with that being said, I'm going to wrap it up with, for some of you, your favorite part of the week, the office quote of the week. Okay. So I'm going to start, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and read it and then I'll explain it. Okay. So this is coming from Toby and this says, Michael's like a movie on a plane. You know, it's not great, but it's something to watch. And when it's over, you're like, how much time's left on this flight? Now what? You know, and so if you haven't seen The Office, Michael actually leaves for a few episodes. You know, he he quits under Mifflin, and and so this is what Toby says when Michael leaves. 
And I think this one resonates pretty well this week, now that we're a whole week removed from football, where the, the second half of his quote where he says, when it's over, you're like, how much time's left in this flight? Now what? You know, it's like, what do I do now? I'm like, man, Sunday afternoons, what, what am I, what, what do I do? <laughs> you know, what, what, what's supposed to happen now? I, I feel lost. Am I going to go run? Sure. Please someone stop me from doing this. I don't know, man. But it's, uh, yeah, I kind of felt that a little bit this past week of no football. There's no, nothing to keep up with. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm enjoying the, the Super Bowl victory. Absolutely. But just the NFL season is very entertaining and uh, just a joy for me to keep keep up with during this during the year, and it's why I love that time of year so much. But it's all good. Uh, the Chiefs got to get their rest, get back in shape, or you know, take some time off, let their bodies heal up, and get back in shape for um, you know the next one, their next Super Bowl coming next year. So that is going to do it for this show. Uh, thank you all again for listening. I hope you all enjoyed. Um, if I put this in a in a poll or a question, I believe it's on Spotify, but if there are something, another sports topic that you want to know about, that you want to know more about, let me know, all right? Hit me up. You can text me. You can DM me. I don't care. Do what you got to do. Get a hold of me. Let me know. And um, if, if there's something you want to hear about within the world of sports, you know, let me know because I would love to uh, – I'm a man of the people, and I want to bring you – the best content available. So let me know what what you're thinking and and I'll see what I can do to make it happen. And that's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks again for tuning in and you guys are awesome and I'll see you next week. Go Chiefs.